Hello and welcome to Searching for Service, a show designed to help current and future Rotarians find purpose through service. Our show's promise is a dedication to sharing stories, experiences, and opportunities for those searching for service, and how Rotary has been the organization to bring it together. The goal of the show is to grow the Rotary family by connecting through service projects. I'm Kelly Kirk, and with me is Joseph Kirk. Together, we're going to deep dive into the heart of Rotary, service above self. Um, And we do have an incredible guest on with us today, Brian Rush, who is the vice chair of DEI Task Force for Rotary International. And Brian, you are coming live to us from Spain. Spain, right? Barcelona, yeah. Barcelona, look at that. (laughs) Welcome, welcome, and thank you for taking time out of your day and your travels to hop on this this show and this podcast with us. We're so happy to have you. It's my pleasure. Thank you guys for inviting me. You're welcome. And so let's dive in. Let's dive into you, Brian, and why don't you start off by sharing with our listeners a little bit about yourself and... Um, we'll go from there. Sure. So, um, <laughs> so my, my name is Brian Rush. I uh, am a, a member, I'm the vice chair of the Rotary International DEI Task Force. Uh, I kind of have been involved with Rotary for a really long time. My first, my grandfather was a Rotarian and I, I got super involved assisting him. I was a Rotary Youth Exchange student uh, to Brazil. I joined the first club, the Rotary Club for Hollywood, when I was 25. And then I got out of Rotary for a little while because it wasn't really... I didn't feel like I belonged very well. And, and then I kind of rejoined uh, about a, I don't know, probably 15 years ago. Um, okay. And then professionally, I, I work a lot through nonprofit work, do a lot of humanitarian work, primarily with the Nobel Peace Laureates. Wonderful. So you had your start with Rotary in Hollywood, correct? I did. Okay, yeah. excellent. And Hollywood. I think that we'll end up circling back to how you did not feel much of that inclusion here at some point. But one of the things that I also noted on your website is that you um, you were a successful fashion stylist there in Hollywood too. And I was. As somebody I... who loves fashion, I have to talk about that for just a brief moment. You have a new lifelong friend, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I, I, I got into my, – my grandfather and my father really wanted me to go into business. And uh, I kind of – I didn't know I – was, I was getting a business degree, and then I really didn't know what business I wanted to go into. And then I discovered a fashion school uh, that focused on business of fashion in Los Angeles. And so – I went there and, and uh, also started working as a as a assistant fashion stylist originally, and then I started working with a magazine and got into fashion styling and, and uh, mostly did primarily music videos um, and a lot of magazine work, some album packaging, mostly mostly rock stars and pop stars. Sounds so cool. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say seems seems really boring and just kind of ho hum. When I got into nonprofit work, I really kind of people are like, how did you go from that to that? And it's the same skill set, right? It's just now I'm just using those powers for good. And <laughs> that is that's so good. So I do want to pose the question then um, in in having done that and then made that transition. What are the things that you that you did take from being a fashion stylist and how it kind of shaped 
who you are and where you're at now? You know, I think um, the greatest thing that I've been able to, to have, there's several things. The first thing, as a stylist, I worked with a lot of really famous people. And at first you're super intimidated, right? But then you kind of realize that we're all the same. Mm-hmm. And I think when you realize that, uh, it really helps you to kind of thrive no matter what kind of fields you go into afterwards, right? So I, you know, went from from working with, with you know, boy bands and, and rock stars to then the Dalai Lama. And it, it, it really was like not as intimidating as it would have been maybe if, if I hadn't had that journey beforehand. <laughs> and it really has allowed me also, I think, to thrive within Rotary because it's, I'm able to sort of like see how I can connect dots on, on how things might benefit other people. And so it's like, oh, okay, here's how Rotary might help elevate the message of a certain luminary. And here's how these luminaries can elevate Rotary International on a global stage, you know, and, and much of what I do is, is on the global level with Rotary. So that's uh, sort of how I've, I've really strived to, to do that work. Well, you've had a unique background, not only working with famous people, but also, you know, Nobel Peace Prize, Nobel laureates like Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama, which both I'm sure that they can party like rock stars, too. But <laughs> but, but, but when they're not partying like rock stars, they're they're saving the world. So, <laughs> you know, talk a little bit about, you know, there was something that actually um, caught my eye on on your bio as well is that you really embody the African concept of is it uh, Ubuntu? Ubuntu, yeah, yeah. And uh, for our for our listeners, can you remind us what that is? Sure. So Ubuntu is a South African philosoph- philosophy that that loosely translates to "I am because you are," and so my humanity is tied up. It's it's inextricable inextricably bound to yours and all of us can only be human together Hmm. and that was something i first learned from archbishop tutu and and it was uh again it was it it sort of goes along those lines of realizing that we're all just people trying to make it in the world at at the end of the day right and Mm -hmm. and and we need each other to do that and it's really how we're able to to go through it And, and we all have different skill sets and it's being able to really recognize what those are put them together to help all of us make it through the, our, our daily lives. If you had to narrow it down to the two or three most important lessons you've learned from not only your fashion uh, design background, but also, you know, in working with these, you know, ultimately, gig- you know, gigantic personalities and people, like what are the two or three concepts that you really learn from it? You know, I think... First off, there's, there's, uh, you know, I, we, we are constantly um, feeling like we have to be in doing a certain thing and, and behaving a certain way. And one of the things that I really learned through working with Archbishop Tutu was that he was, he arrived as his authentic self. And, and when he was going through a lot of the troubles and travails that, that during the apartheid era, you know, he was the Archbishop of Cape Town, and at the time, they didn't actually allow Black people um, to stay the night in within the city limits of Cape Town. But the residency for the Archbishop was in the city limits of Cape Town, and, and so he did. And and it actually caused a lot of, of drama. And I think that that 
being being arriving authentically to what you're doing, no matter what that is, and and not focusing on what you know or what you feel to be right. And maybe sometimes it's not always right, but it's in that moment you feel that you're doing the right thing. I think that was one of the most important things. And I, it's something that both His Holiness the Dalai Lama and, and Archbishop Tutu did over and over and over again. I think the second thing is really to, to not take yourself too seriously. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and I, have a new Instagram, I know I have a new Instagram fan, um, but <laughs> I, I think that like you knowing, you know, don't get caught up in in the in in the drama of what people think you are um just just enjoy your life and enjoy yourself and enjoy the people around you and try and and take that joy with you no matter what you're doing um and and as a third thing i you know i think that it really does come back to that thing that at the end of the day we're all you know there's there's eight billion of us on this planet right and we're all just trying to like do our best and and get through the day but none of us are, are any different. Some of us have more, more benefits, more privilege than others of us. But, but at the end of the day, um, all of us matter. And, and to be able to, to work with the Dalai Lama or be working with, you know, uh, a disabled person in Delhi, both of them uh, deserve the same amount of respect and the same amount of energy uh, that, that I'm able to give in that moment. That's really fantastic. And, you know, <laughs> I'm per, like, oh, per, yeah, that's so pretty, good. pretty much a perfect segue into what we're going to be getting into in our second segment here. We've got about a minute left here um, where we're going to be talking about uh, your work with Rotary International and the diversity and inclusion um, committees. And first of all, what that is and then how that's impacting Rotary as a whole, how that's impacting what you're doing in the nonprofit world how that impacts, you know, how you treat people and how you, how you approach um, people on a daily basis. So we're really excited to hear a little bit more about that here coming up in our next segment. But uh, let's let's wrap let's it up, wrap it up and go section. into the section two. And as a reminder, you are listening to Searching for Service brought to you by Rotary District 5950 and 5960. I'm Kelly Kirk. And I'm Joseph Kirk. Excited to see you on the next side of the break. Welcome back to Searching for Service, brought to you by District 5950 and 5960. That is Rotary District 5950 and 5960. I'm Kelly Kirk. And I'm our co-host, Joseph Kirk. And as a reminder, you can find us on your favorite podcast platforms, and we love... Five-star reviews, as many as we can. (laughs) Take it away, Joseph Kirk. All right, Brian, we're going to just... You know, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about yourself, first of all. Uh, what a fun background, and I wish we had an hour to just talk about your background because it's, it's so cool. Like, we're just sitting here like like super fans. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, you got to – you're just constantly around people that either I admire or, you know, yep. wish I could party with. Um, yep. It's awesome. <laughs> but let's, let's pivot over into Rotary. I mean, we wouldn't be uh, – Show Doing the show without, without having Rotary that here. as our background. <laughs> so first of all, talk a little bit more about your role within Rotary, 
how you got started, and then um, let's just very quickly go into DEI and you know why why it's been an important component for Rotary International, and then all the way down to the club level. Okay, so I originally so my grandfather was a Rotarian, and and so growing up, uh, he was the president of of the local Rotary club in my town of like three hundred people, and and we did pancake breakfasts, and you know it was it was like. What you what a lot of people imagine Rotary to be like still, and it is in a lot of places, which is awesome. Um, and through that, my high school, which was very small, my grad, you know my class was only sixty people, but we always had exchange students, and so I had the opportunity to be a youth exchange student to Brazil um, because of Rotary. And I, it's one of the, I would say it's one of the top three things that impacted my life the most as far as the person I am today, because it really gave me an expanded worldview of what. Rotary, what, what the world was. And, and it was all thanks to Rotary and, you know, and, and to be able to have that experience and, and interact with people from all over the world, but also live in a country that was totally different. I lived in this massive city where of almost 4 million people where, you know, from a town of 300, that's a big difference. And it, yeah. I, I grew up, in, I grew up in Colorado. It was at the beach in Brazil. So it was, it was definitely different. <laughs> um, <laughs> from mountains to beaches. Love it. <laughs> and so I moved to LA in my, to get into fashion in my, in my early twenties. And, uh, I start I launched my first company and I decided that maybe there was a potential to do something with rotary through that. And so I joined the Rotary Club for Hollywood, which at the time was by far one of the most progressive clubs I'd ever been to. You know, it was it was uh, this was mid 90s. And there it was pretty even. There was a lot of women in that club, which was not normal. But I was I, I was 25 at the time and I was by far the youngest person by more than 15 years. Um, <laughs> and and so it was it was a great experience because I was able to interact. You know, the dean of, the, of Hollywood High School was a member and I was able to really elevate my professional side with a lot of the stuff that was happening in Rotary and combine those two things to, to do great things. And then when I left LA, I, you know, I visited a lot of other clubs originally in Oregon and then uh, in Northern California. And I just wasn't finding a club that, that I connected with. Um, it was just, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a super traditional person. And so you really wouldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> and then there, I actually had a good friend who worked at, at Rotary, who worked, he was staff at RI, and um, he invited me to visit this this club that was about to charter, which was Rotary Club for Castro, which was the first LGBTQ culture club, and it was in the Castro neighborhood of San Francisco. And so it took us about a year, and we chartered that club. And it was interesting because at the time people were like, why do we need a club like this? You know, it's, it's a very specific kind of niche thing. And, and we weren't doing a lot of cause-based clubs or anything like that at the time. But that club stood as a model that Rotary really was evolving, that it was mm. becoming something so much more than, than my grandfather's Rotary club, right? And, yeah. and that it was really, there were opportunities within the organization for all of us. And, and that was the Rotary that I, that I knew and that I wanted to be part of. And so that was, I was part of that. And then I, I helped to charter a second club and then I chartered a third club during COVID, which was an e-club. And that was really focused on removing obstacles to being a Rotarian and how can we really help, you know, people of, of different economic back, backgrounds, people that live in countries where Rotary maybe can't have a physical presence, um, 
women who might live in regions where they still have men only clubs, how could we really be a club that, that was open to all these people? And so that was how I got involved with that work. Mm -hmm. Um, the DEI stuff really came about. I, I, I was invited to speak at the district 5,000 conference in Hawaii and, uh, Jennifer Jones was the president's rep at that event. And so I was speaking on peace and my work, uh, what I'd learned from working with peace leaders and how I could really apply that, how we all could apply that to our lives. And afterwards, and I, first of all, I was super stressed because all of us at this point have seen Jennifer speak, but she nails it every single time, right? And, <laughs> and so she's on stage right before me. And so I'm like panicked. <laughs> You're like, how do I follow this? <laughs> it reminds me of this scene from, uh, uh, it's the Johnny Cash. And we walked the line. Because nobody follows or what does he say? Like, uh, it's uh, Jerry Lewis that comes off. He goes, nobody follows a killer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was, and that was, that was what it was like. Right. Because she talks and just everybody falls in love with her instantly. And, and, uh, and, um, and so I got up there and I was just, I, I talked about my work with the laureates and, and I was also very open and honest about, you know, my relationship, you know, my husband and I have been together uh, for 28 years last last week or a week ago, two weeks oh, ago. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And, and but it was just sort of like, not like a gay rights thing or talking about LGBTQ rights, but it was more just like talking about my life in a, in a casual, common way. And afterwards, Jen came up to me and she just was like, this is, you need to talk about this more to Rotary. And she invited mm -hmm. me to International Assembly to speak. And I gave a version of that talk um, called Coming Out Into My Own Legacy. And it was really about the work, my work with, with these, these amazing individuals and how I use that work now and how, how it really feeds me to go and, and do the work that I'm doing today. And, and uh, so that's, that's really how I, I originally got into all this work. Well, and if I might make a comment is you, you want to talk about having about as good of, of a background and experience in coming at a very difficult conversation mm -hmm. right within a, an organization that has been historically you know good old a, boys club. good old boys club and it, it probably just equipped you from this place of understanding and inclusion and this you know we're all the same and we just we all just need our place and if we can if we don't have a place let's make it like, you know, go, when you were talking about the formations of the clubs that you had helped, it, it was, hey, we don't really we don't really have a place. Let's make one. And yeah. then right. and then Rotary was at least smart enough to know at that point, like, wow, this yeah, is we something need to embrace us. And, you know, and I. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I, was just well, I, was just, go. I think that, you know, I do because, you know, I work with His Holiness and Archbishop Tutu. And then I also, you know, I've I've done projects for Pope Francis. And um, I, I think that that allowed, in some way it allowed, first of all, it allowed me to maybe um, have a voice that, that most people wouldn't have in the organization. And with that, there was a lot of privilege, right? And so mm -hmm. I had to use that privilege for something that, that I felt was important in the organization. And so that's really how I, I kind of got into that because it's, it's harder, you know, I show up as my big gay self to, to events. And if, if, I didn't have that background, I wouldn't be able to do the things that I do. Right. Um, I'm conscious of that. And so I think that I have to use that um, to really 
make an impact and make change, you know, and, and that's what I'm trying to do. And I, th- I think that's so amazing. And I want to point out one other <laughs> thing that is a commonality among Rotary or among like all the guests Rotarians. that we've had, mm-hmm. all the Rotarians is you have to be careful what you say around who you say, because they will give you a platform. Like you, you mm-hmm. follow Jennifer Jones and then boom, there's the platform. And there's your platform. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Something else that I do want to say too is that each one of the guests that we have had on has authentically like just been themselves mm-hmm. and within doing so, something has something really magical and beautiful has happened from that, whether it's, you know, Sue with the Alzheimer's Foundation or mm-hmm. in this case, Brian, with all that you're doing with um, the DEI task force. So um, we have literally another minute left in our this section. I can't believe how quickly it's flying by. And so I think for our next section, we'll just, we'll just continue, continue the, conversation. the conversation because we could just keep going for a very, very long time. So. Well, and one other thing, we do have a couple <clears throat> of seconds is I cannot believe the commonality of how important the youth exchange has been with yeah. every single yeah. person that we've had on the show is youth exchange is kind of that catalyst that's, you know, either exposed them to something or they've had a student. It's it's pretty phenomenal. So I loved hearing that you you said that uh, the exchange program really impacted. It's an amazing you. program. It yeah. really is. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to Searching for Service. We're not wrapped up yet. As a reminder, we're brought to you by Rotary District fifty nine fifty and fifty nine sixty. I'm Kelly Kirk, and I'm Joseph Kirk. We'll see you in the next Such segment. Shed. Segment, whatever it is. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Searching for Service, brought to you by Rotary District 5950 and 5960. I'm Kelly Kirk. And I'm Joseph Kirk. And as a reminder, you can find us on your favorite podcast platform. And Joseph, we love. Five-star review. (laughs) It's just like it rolls off the tongue It really does. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you're tuning in for the first time, Time. We have special guest Brian Rush. He is the vice chair of the DEI task force for Rotary International. And if you have missed the last couple of sections, please do yourself a favor and go back, start it over, and just listen through because Brian is incredible. Um, we are super fans already, <laughs> Instagram fans too. So, <laughs> but in our last section, we really started to dive into your involvement in Rotary International, DEI, um, and all that encompasses that. And so, we're just going to continue through <laughs> that where conversation. We left off. <laughs> yeah, cool. I think I think it's just time to let, let's talk about you know. What is the task force really focused on? What What are the hopes and aspirations that we have for, um, you know, our local clubs? Just well, take it know, from there. I, I think the task force started, uh, President Holger started the task force and, and invited me to be part of that um, during that, that first, you know, his first years, first couple months during COVID. And uh, it really we were tasked with a few things. It was first of all, to, to gauge where Rotary is with DEI around the world, not mm-hmm. just what are we doing in our clubs, but where, where are we? And, and it's an important thing to look at because what, what 
challenges we have, for example, in, in Minnesota or in California are going to be very different than what the challenges we have in South Africa or in India. And so it really was about how can we look at that? How can we improve that? And at the end of the day, for me, I think it's, it's very much how do we create clubs that are, are welcoming to people? How do we mm. make sure that like when somebody comes through that door, they feel like they, there's a sense of, of that they're welcome. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I know that there's a lot of pushback on, on this in certain regions, um, a lot in North America. Uh, and, and I think that that's, if, if we look at it really from that viewpoint, like how are we making sure that our clubs are welcoming to people, it makes it much more difficult to, to, to really not be on board with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, one of the things for, that we've also discovered lately is there's, there's some problems with the word equity. And equity is is one of those terms that that became sort of a, a hot flashpoint talking point for people, um, and and that you know oh why should this person get more than I I do? And I think you know when I talk about equity, I really like to look at money because we all understand money, right? Yeah. And in San Francisco, the median income is eighty thousand dollars a year. In Minneapolis, it's like thirty five and a half thousand dollars a year. In Delhi, it's about $3,000 a year. And in Lagos, Nigeria, it's $900 a year, right? But to be a Rotarian in any of those regions, it costs 70, like $70, $75 a month or a year to, to be a member of Rotary, no matter which one of those regions you live in. And so when we look at it through that lens, is that fair to all concerned? I, I don't think so. That's fascinating no. context. I would never think of it like that, yeah. that it, the cost is the same. Yeah. No matter I mean, where, it, you, no matter are where you are. And so what that means then is that we end up with Rotarians in certain regions of the world who are very, very, very wealthy, but aren't really, um, we, we're excluding a whole group of people that, that might make amazing Rotarians. And my work through the nonprofit world, I work with so many people that are doing amazing work on the ground, but they're not making the kind of money. I, one of my club members who we sponsor to be in our club, he makes 200 bucks a month. Our dues are $200 a year, which is low for Rotary. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's no way he could afford to pay $200 a month or $200 a year if, if, if he was trying to join a club. It just wouldn't be possible. And yet, during COVID, for example, all of our sponsors, we have like four sponsors. At the time, we had four sponsor members. We have six now. All of our major international projects that we did that year, which were massive, were led by um, our sponsored members who were on the ground doing <sighs> this amazing work. You know, and so it really is, how are we making the organization accessible to everybody? And it's about more, it, it includes race, it includes gender, it includes LGBTQ people, but it's about so much more than that. How are we making sure that, you know, when we're meeting in a lunch club, that, that somebody who might be in a wheelchair or not super mobile can actually get into that. If we're meeting on Zoom, are we making these, uh, these uh, accessible to people with hearing impairments? You know, I mean, a great thing for, for you all <laughs> doing this live stream to Facebook. Do you have this conversation so that people can actually read it if they're so that they can actually watch the show rather than going online and having to listen to it because mm-hmm. they can't listen to it. You know, there's so many great things that we can be doing that are more inclusive to people that, that again, people that are going to make amazing Rotarians. One of the things that you just said, I think, is something that always strikes me is we we, I think, f- for most part, as people have a misconception of what diversity means. Yes. Diversity can mean 
skin color, diversity, but thought, um, religion. religion. I mean, it, it's everything. Yeah. And diversity isn't. It doesn't solely fall it, into those categories, and I think that we kind of pigeonhole ourselves yeah. into these specific categories versus what you were just sharing, Brian, that there's there's so much more to it, and um, Rotary is Rotary has been doing what they feel is the best that they can do to try to incorporate the other components of what we think is diversity as well. But I think and you I think, also – I think you – sorry. I think you also boiled down – what DEI is actually intended to do. Mm-hmm. And it's to make people feel welcome, yeah. period, right? And and that way, if we're creating environments, if we're creating opportunities, whether it's Rotary or whether it's not, I mean, our listeners are both Rotarians and non-Rotarians. So it, no matter what you're doing, and you know, we, we see it in the corporate world, we see it everywhere. It's the message that I definitely get from you. And I, I think that this is such a nice boil down of a very complicated issue that is DEI Mm -hmm. into do we make people feel welcome? It's simple, right? (laughs) And I think, you know, when it's interesting because when we are talking about diversity, we do have to look at the bigger picture and it's like we have, you know, visible diversity and we have invisible diversity and, Mm -hmm. and are we taking into consideration all those things? You know, I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict. I've been sober since I was 21, but Congratulations so to that as well. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much. But so many of our our events and everything are built around alcohol, right? And for me, I don't really have a challenge with that. But what about people who who do have a challenge with it? Or they might be pregnant or they might for, for faith reasons um, <laughs> not interested in doing that. What what do we do to include that, right? And so I think that that there's a lot of different things and we can and it, it's important to look at these invisible diversities because you know, we can we can have a room full of all white men and that room can still be very diverse mm-hmm. in an invisible diversity kind of way. And and conversely, we can also have a room that looks very diverse, but is still exclusive. Mm-hmm. And and that, I think, is a challenge that we sometimes run into when we're really focusing on like, oh, let's get this type of person. Let's get this type of person. That's not what we need to be doing. What we need to be doing is making sure that whoever comes in feels that this is the place they belong. Well, let me – I'm going to push back just a little bit and I just want to know your perspective on this is, you know, what do you say to people that are like, well, if then if you're – you know, it's that whole thing if I'm marketing to everybody, I'm marketing to nobody. Um, what do you do with that feedback? If, if everybody's welcome and I have to accom- – or, you know, I have to accommodate for every single person, how is that possible and how is that sustainable? Because you, you know, I, you could just take the 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 example you gave about alcohol. Okay, like then you have a non-alcoholic thing, and then you have. And at what point does it become where, or does it become a point where it's unsustainable or it's unattainable? I don't think it does. I think I think that the, I would I would respond to that with like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to be as inclusive to people as possible? What's the what's the drawback to being inclusive to? Uh, to allowing people to to feel that they're welcome in a space. And why would you not want that? And I, I've yet to hear a reason, a good reason why they don't. And and I think that the, the one challenge that we sometimes are faced with is like, especially District Governor Alex bring it up a lot. Um, and it's like, oh, well, I have, I have club presidents are worried that if we do this, we're going to lose members. 
because, you know, and I'm like, well, first of all, we don't know how many members we're losing because we're not doing this. Yeah. Right. And that's, I mean, because we don't find out, we don't know when people come to come to a meeting and they never come back, why they didn't come back. Right. There's no sort of exit interview. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that the other thing is Mark Wafer, who's Valerie Wafer, she's the, the, uh, the chair of the task force, but I was having a conversation with Mark and we were talking about this and he's like, you know, we might lose members because of this conversation, but we're not going to lose Rotarians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> so, so good. That's so and, good. And a perfect way for us to end on this section and we'll roll into our next section. That was beautiful. Beautiful response to my husband there, Brian. I love it. It was really good. <laughs> As a reminder, you are listening to Searching for Service. I'm Kelly Kirk. And I'm Joseph Kirk. We'll see you in a little bit. Bye. Hello and welcome back to Searching for Service, brought to you by Rotary District 5950 and 5960. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform. I'm Kelly Kirk. And I'm Joseph Kirk, and we do love five-star reviews, and we do love you as the viewer, too. So thank you so much for <laughs> tuning in. We switched it up a little bit Ooh. there. We switched it up, and I love it. It was so good. Um, as a reminder, we have Brian Rush on with us right now, and we're getting into our favorite section. And that's just imagining what the future will look like for what it is that you do. But more specifically, just like for DEI – how do you how do you envision that as a growing concept moving forward? Well, I think that we're definitely seeing a movement. You know, it started with I think it did start with a lot with clubs, but it also and with the membership and but it also started with the directors and the board of directors for RI and and really wanting to to let people know that this is something that we're doing. You know, Rotary International for a service organization, actually, as much as we like to make fun of, of the sale mail and pale mythos of Rotarians, <laughs> <they're>... <laughs> I got to use that one. <laughs> there is definitely, you know, we're way ahead of where most organizations of our size are in the DEI conversation. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we should be very proud of. And I think that, you know, President Holger has a lot. It had a lot to do with that. Uh, President Shaker carried that forward. President Jennifer has made DEI one of her, her cornerstones of her year um, and to the point that actually the People of Action Awards this year are about uh, uh, inclusion and people of, people of inclusion and champions of inclusion is what they're calling it. Um, and so I think that that's, that's one piece. I think that the second piece is that, that when we, you know, we hired a, an outside firm to really look at the organization and what we could do. And overwhelmingly, the members want us to be talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and mm-hmm. they want us to be evolving as an organization. And we need to evolve as an organization. That's the only way that we can grow. And I do think that that we are, you know, we were we were talking about this, you know, kind of offline. But I think that there's there's definitely a. a Sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. But... <laughs> it's okay. I have it <laughs> there's, there's definitely, you know, a, a people want to to have these conversations, but they get a little like nervous about it. And I think that the thing about it is, is that 
being curious about this conversation, you know, yeah, yes, that, that's what's important. That's really, we don't, we're not going to get this all right in the first try, but at least we're trying. And that's, what's important. And, and that we're making an effort to really make a difference in this, within the organization and within our society as a whole. You know, I mean, I think that we're, we go to different, I travel a lot and I'm in a lot of different regions and, and how, you know, the, the DEI conversation in, in India is much different than the DEI conversation here in Spain, where I am, versus, you know, in San Francisco, where I am usually. And, and so we have to make room for that conversation to really, for all those conversations to come together. And ultimately, I think it does add to, to a, a better, stronger organization. That's really well said. And I think also is we, we underestimate how important velocity is too, right? I mean, you think of you think of where Rotary was, say, 30, 40 years ago, and you look at it, how it's changed in the last, how our culture and how our world has changed in, say, the last 15 to 20 years, mm-hmm. and the velocity of change has increased. And one of the things that I always admire about Rotary, and yes, we, we have certainly opportunities to continue to grow and, and understand is we do adopt things and it's pretty nice to see that the velocity of that change is growing and growing, especially around cause-based clubs. I think that this is kind of the, and I'd love your opinion on kind of the future of what the cause-based clubs could look like. Um, But I really do think that that's, that's the thing that Rotary is, is figured out is, you know, we don't have to meet in the conventional way. We can, we can all believe in an ideal or we want to serve or you know, we, we want to be a political action committee, how, whatever it needs to be. It's just as long as we can get a group of people that have the same ideals. And that group can be as diverse as any other, if not more, because I think that's where I think location sometimes gets us with the diversity component. You know, the cosmos clubs are an interesting thing for me because when we chartered um, Castro – I, I'm so grateful that we did it. And, you know, there's been seven or eight more that have charted since then, and it's become more of a common thing. Um, but it also had a feeling that it was a little bit separate but equal, right? Um, hmm. And that we were kind of just like putting people into this area. And I know in India, they have a they have a club that's, that's all, all the members are transgender. And it was because they couldn't find another club that they could join. But, but the transgender women in that club do so much service and so much work and they stand as a model. And so I think it's sort of a catch 22, like, like at the end of the day, I think cause-based clubs are a good thing because they really help uh, to recognize that not everybody has to go into a, a lunch meeting, you know, and sit and listen to a speaker every week. My club only does a speaker every two months, you know, and it's a big speaker and we invite everybody in the world to come to it. But at, on the flip side, Pete, there are people that want that that traditional club and that traditional club experience, and that's awesome for them. And people thrive in that that kind of atmosphere. And that we're not saying that you have to change, you have to stop doing this thing because of whatever. It's just like how wh- how can you, whatever type of club you have, whatever type of, of uh, membership you're looking for, how can you just make that more inclusive at the end of the day? So, so yours is so. So your perspective on this is, you know. Cause-based clubs are great, but having more inclusive clubs, no matter what they are, is really the direction of the future. So what does that well, look like? What, is that, what I, does that ultimately look like for you? We had this conversation in Houston and, and uh, about, cause, about 
not so much cause-based, but, um, you know, in Chicago, there's an all-black club. And I was talking about, uh, about the LGBT club and how I felt like there was a separate but equal thing to it. And my friend Osei stood up, and he was he's a past district governor from the Chicago area, and started talking about, like, if it weren't for this, this club that was all African-American, he would not have gotten into Rotary. Hmm. He wouldn't have felt, like, the, comfortable in anything, and he definitely wouldn't have felt that he could belong and thrive in this organization where he ended up becoming the position of district governor and doing so much within the organization. And the organization's better because of people like him as much as it is with, with all of us that are in the organization. So I think that, that we're going to see the evolution and I think there's going to be bumps in the road and there's going to be people that, that, you know, from time to time are not as, as supportive of, of it. But I think at the end of the day, um, we're, we're seeing successes because of it. We're mm-hmm. seeing that we're, we're, making a better organization. And, and I think that, you know, when we, when we started looking at bringing Rotaract into Rotary, you know, and, and that I, I have a couple dual members in my club and, and one of them is she headed the, one of the MDIOs in Oceania or the MDIO in Oceania. And in my conversations with her, you know, in her region, Rotarians are constantly looking at Rotaractors as like these sort of second class citizens, right? And they were offering her like to be an assistant to the system of the AG. And I'm like, no, you stand up. You have more knowledge about Rotary than most people I know. They make you full equal to everybody else or else don't do it. And if, cause if you do that, that's really setting yourself to be, that's what you're setting up for the people in the future. To be. Mm-hmm. So we have to be really authentic as we approach this and it's going to cause waves, you know, and I have people sometimes that say like, Oh, we, you know, why are we having this conversation? Cause it's making people uncomfortable. And the reality is, you know, I've been in Rotary for 25 years now. Right. And I have been uncomfortable a lot. (laughs) And there's been times where I didn't feel comfortable bringing my husband to an event, or I didn't feel, you know, that, that I would be welcome in that way if people knew. And, and Hmm. so if it's making people a little uncomfortable to have this conversation, I'm okay with that. Maybe it's time for people to be a little uncomfortable. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, Brian. Great insight. Um, this interview has been so amazing. We're going to just kind of do a little wrap up here. Um, but thank you so much for being on and sharing your experience. You've got amazing experience. You, you do amazing things for, uh, for our listeners, um, out there that want to find you, um, help them out and where, where can they find you? You can find me all over the social media. Um, <laughs> well, we found you on Instagram already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my website is brianrush.com. Also, check out the Rotary Club for Global Action. So that's uh, Rotary. What is it? Oh gosh, RotaryGlobalAction.org. Um, and yeah, that's through those you can reach me one one way or the other, personally or through the club. Well, I am certain that you will. Um, you'll end up having some individuals reach out to you. I might be one of them. So I do also want to say thank you very much. Um, we know that you're traveling, and so to find time in the time different time zones as well, it's greatly appreciated. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you both for having me. You're yeah, and I'd be welcome. remiss to, to not say Tom Gump says hello. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you again so much. Um, and as a reminder, you are listening to Searching for Service. It's time to stop searching. And start serving. Thanks, everybody. 